but it's not your identity. It's a measure of credit worthiness. It's not a badge of honor, nor is it an accurate measure of who you are if your score happens to be low right now. Welcome, everybody. It's David Thompson and Leo Sabo. And in this episode of Getting Money Right, we're looking at credit scores and how to improve yours. So in the 1800s, if you wanted to buy timber for your home, you wanted to buy lumber or wood, and you're going to build a house, you would walk down to the timber yard and you would talk to the owner of the company. And he would take you to this little back room and sit you across a table and pull out a little blue book. And that book had your name in it, it had your profession, and a little record of whether you pay your debts on time. And so you would sit down and he would kind of look look up your information and say, okay, I trust David Thompson will pay me back if I give him timber and lumber for his home. And so I will lend this to him and I'll let him pay me back over a, seri- uh, a period of time. And, and so after a while, uh, many businesses started to do this to really kind of keep a little bit of a score on how people were at borrowing and how they were at repaying. And a group of gentlemen realized, wow, this is valuable information. They started collecting large books of information. They would go business to business and they would gather the information those small businesses had gathered. And they would start selling big books of information to other business owners saying, hey, I can tell you whether all the people in this town are going to pay their debts on time, uh, if you can lend to them, if they're good for it. And if you think back, it used to almost be a handshake deal. Like, oh, I knew your father's father. Or, oh, you come from the the Thompson lineage. Yeah, you guys are good people. We, we trust you. Uh, but no, over time, as cities grew, it had to be a more formal process. And as that process grew and grew, a product evolved. And that product was the credit score. And these are large companies now that collect your data and you don't even realize it's happening. And they collect your data and they sell that information to other companies without your knowledge. And they use very, very specific mathematical models to build and assess whether you're a trustworthy person, whether you have the ability to borrow and actually pay it back and it's an interesting industry, and that's what we're going to dig into today. Yeah, I think it's uh, really easy to not really think about the fact that our name, who we are, is hard for creditors to know. They don't know us personally like they used to in these smaller towns. And of course, as society has grown, people have to judge who you are and how you're going to do business with them based on some information. And the information that is available today is what we call a FICO score. But what does that mean? Where's FICO come from? And FICO is actually, it's come from two different gentlemen uh, that started this company called Fair Isaac Company. One of the gentlemen, his name was Bill Fair, and the other one's Earl Isaac. So these two guys started Fair and Isaac Company in the 1960s. And what they were able to do is to compile information to help creditors to learn how much of a risk you and I are when it comes to borrowing. It's a measure of consumer credit risk and has become a fixture of consumer lending in the United States over the past 40 to 50 years. In 2013, lenders purchased more than 10 billion FICO scores and about 30 million American consumers access their credit scores themselves. FICO scores are now widely used by insurance and utility companies, cable, satellite companies, mobile and phone providers, and landlords or rental management companies, and many others. And they also are used for 
I know for the army and for the military, it's for security clearance and so many other things today. So it's almost like you can't get away from the fact that you have a, some form of FICA score, whether you use credit or not, you either don't have one or have a very low one or have a good one. So we have to be aware of it. And that's what we want to talk about today. Yeah, I believe that you've probably all run into this. Um, it could be as simple as going to get a mobile phone. And before they will allow you to set up an ongoing monthly contract, they want to make sure that you're going to pay it. And so they check your credit score. Maybe you're trying to rent an apartment. And of course, they check your credit score. Uh, your your cable bill, which is it's unbelievable to me, but cable bills will go in and they'll say, hey, you know, how 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 do we know? that you're actually going to pay us every month, the 100 the 150 the $200 a month that you may be set up for in that package. And so uh, over time, and this was kind of the genius of uh, Bill Fair and Earl Isaac, is they put together this incredibly complex mathematical model that took tons and tons of data and information and turned it into one simple number, and that is the FICO score. And as your FICO score goes up, then all of a sudden people believe that you're a better risk, that, that it is not very risky to give you money because they believe you're going to give that money back with interest mm -hmm. over time. Uh, but on the flip side of that, if your FICO score begins to go down, now you've got to pay more for the services that you want. Uh, you have to put down a larger deposit in order to even get approved to borrow money or to rent a house or to rent an apartment or to buy a home. And you've got a lot greater chance of being turned down. In fact, just about a week and a half ago, I was talking to a group of young adults and uh, sitting at the table, one of them was talking about how they went to go purchase a vehicle. Uh, it was their first time to ever buy anything and need to borrow. And they were buying a vehicle. I think it was around eight to $10,000. And they had no idea they needed a credit score. They had no idea. They, they just, okay, I want to buy this vehicle. I know I'm good for it. They trust themselves, right? But they, they didn't realize that this business is about to lend them eight to $10,000 worth of machinery. <laughs> and the business wants to know, how am I going to get my money back? You know, I'm going to have to chase you down to get this vehicle at a repossession, or are you going to pay me every month? And so they ended up making the purchase, but because they didn't have a credit score, they had to put a lot more money down up front, mm -hmm. a lot more money, and they have a higher interest rate. And so I looked at the documents and I don't remember the exact number, but let's say that the final loan, let's say they're buying a, a $9,000 car. They had to put $2,000 down, leaving their balance of 7,000 on it. And then on top of that, their interest rate is such that over the next couple of years, they would pay over... I think it was like $12,000 if they let the whole course of the loan play out. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what their interest rate was, but it was high enough that their $7,000 or $9,000 vehicle could cost them twelve grand, and 5000 of that cost could be interest if they didn't pay it off sooner. And, and the cool thing is these young adults were with a plan to pay it off sooner. They were working aggressively. They were in our budgeting class. And so it was really neat to see where they were going. But they hit this wall. They had no idea that they needed to have a plan in place before they went out. And that plan involved the FICO score. Yeah, and, and I remember when our daughters first started to uh, work and eventually thought about getting their own apartment after they got married. And that discussion, that topic came up. And I said, well, you know, you have to start building your credit score. You don't just, you know, a history is built over time. And that's one of the things we'll talk about. How does a credit score actually, what what goes into a credit score. And one of the things is the length of time that you have had credit. 
And of course, they didn't have any credit. So they're like, well, wait a minute, do I have a credit score? And how much is it? And I said, well, you probably don't have one at all because you just started working and you're not really, don't even have a footprint as far as finances are concerned. But over time, they realized the importance of it and getting a secured credit card through our credit union and starting to build a little bit of credit so that if they did have to purchase something down the road, which they did, um, they they could do it without having to pay a huge penalty in interest as, uh, as you described through this young couple. Yeah. So the really cool thing is that nowadays, probably in the past five to seven years, there has become a lot easier access points to find out your credit score. Mm -hmm. It used to be really difficult. This was very secretive stuff. Uh, There were three large companies and we'll go through them, but there were three large companies that held all this information about you, just tons. And they didn't even let you know you had it. And it felt very strange and you didn't know how they were calculating it or where it was coming from. And if you ask them for that score, you'd have to pay a decent amount of money to Mm -hmm. find out your score. Today, a lot of credit card companies realize that they can attract more customers and customers that will be loyal if they offer them a free credit score. Uh, Credit Karma is a third party that will use your information and they will try to lend uh, or they will will tell you about wonderful debt deals that you can take. But in, in return for them marketing you debt, they will give you your credit score for free. And it's a great service because you have access to your credit score for free, but you also have to realize they're in the business of selling debt to you mm-hmm. and, and not get pulled into that. And so it takes time to build your credit score. Unfortunately, there's really no quick fix if you find yourself with a bad credit score. But what we're going to do is education today. But we're going to walk you through some of the basics of it, how it works, where you would find it. Like I said, credit, credit karma, and we'll talk about annualcreditreport.com. But if you educate yourself on this topic, you're going to have so much more confidence when you're making a decision. I guarantee you that these young adults I talked to last week, they felt very insecure buying that car because they didn't know. They didn't know going in that they needed a credit score. They didn't know exactly how it was affecting them. So they felt very inconfident in that purchase. Uh, You're going to save potentially hundreds or even thousands of dollars a month. And I promise that you will save tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime if you understand the credit score and how it operates. And you'll feel comfortable with some basic steps to protect your identity. We're going to give you some free ways to manage your own score so that you don't have to hire someone and pay out of pocket up front. And we're going to talk about the ability to fix those credit errors without paying anyone. And I don't know what the number is, but I think it's 40 or 50% of all credit scores have some error on them. And if you can fix that on your own without paying someone, you might be able to increase or at least adjust your credit score in a really healthy way. Yeah, I read a statistic just the other day that somewhere around 40% of people didn't even check their credit score in uh, 2016, which is really surprising to me. I mean, obviously, it, it affects us in one way or another, whether we're buying a phone or getting some kind of service. So it's interesting to me that so many people don't check it. And our, our desire is really to educate people of what the score is. If your score is not good or excellent, how you can get there, how can you move it there, and also to find some balance in what the credit score really is for, because it's not our identity. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but really a credit score is something that we use. It's part of our society. It's part of something that we don't have a choice to opt out. We kind of do, but there's a cost to opting out, and unless you're independently wealthy, you really probably shouldn't check out uh, and just figure out a way to use your credit score for your own benefit. Now, David mentioned that there are three companies that have compiled all this data about us from which the FICO score is calculated. 
the three companies are referred to as bureaus, and they are Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. These are the companies that have all of our credit information, uh, things like when and how much we borrowed, our payment history, the types of credit, and so on. This information used to be kept secret, and the normal consumer did not have access to them. But that's thankfully changed. Anyone can have access to their credit report from each of these bureaus and can get a free copy every 12 months. The website annualcreditreport.com is a free site that you can use to get a copy of your report. We'll add the link to the site on our podcast show notes, which you can find at leosebo.com. So your credit reports and information is held by these three companies, but the score is compiled and brought together or put together by the Fair Isa company, and therefore that's your FICO score. The FICO score ranges between 300 and 850. The credit score is also ranked from 300 to 620, it's considered bad. From 620 to 660, it's considered fair. From 660 to 720, it's good. And then 720 and above is considered excellent. When a lender is looking to extend credit to you, it's looking at this ranking. Anything over 720, they're going to give you the best interest rate available. Anything below that will begin to increase the interest rate because they're taking a bigger risk on you based on your credit ranking. The way your credit score is actually determined is based on five factors. The first and the biggest portion, 35% actually, is on payment history, whether you pay on time and how many times you might be late. The second is 30% of the equation, and that's the amount that you owe based on how much credit you have available versus how much you're actually using. The third is 15%, and it's the length of credit history. The last two are both 10%, and one is the credit mix, the types of credit that you have, and the last is new credit, how much new credit you've taken on recently. And that's how your score is calculated. It is based on each of these five factors, but at the end of the day, it tells lenders how risky it is to lend money to someone based on their credit score. Yeah, I love that, Leo. And I love that you mentioned annualcreditreport.com because the government has set that up so that you have free access. Mm -hmm. And you said you can access one report every year. Well, there's three reports. So you could go in every three or four months and get a new report and see up to date, okay, what's actually being reported by Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax? What data are they gathering about me? And is it accurate? And you have the power to go see that and then also monitor your credit score on Credit Karma. So it's neat to see the breakdown. I love that you said 720, kind of up to 850. That score is really in the excellent range because once you get over 720, they they see you as excellent. They're, you're going to get approved for almost everything at that point, uh, barring a few just super high-end uh, pieces of plastic. But let's talk about how to improve your score because now that we know what are the five major things that go into it, we can begin to break that down and see, okay, what is going to help me go up in my score and allow this to make borrowing easier, less painful in the future. And I do want to, I do want to hint at you there. Part of playing this game is that you make borrowing easier. 
and I don't want you to get sucked into the trap that borrowing is the answer to your problems. Uh, we want to move as much as possible away from borrowing. And like Leo said, you don't want to carry a balance on your cards. You don't want to carry a monthly balance. I want you to pay cash for cars over time. I want you to have uh, tons of emergency fund so that you never have to go into debt. But it's good to know how the score operates. So first and foremost, it's kind of obvious, but if 35% of the score is based on your payment history, well, it's pretty important that you pay on time. If you miss one payment or you're late on a payment, that's going to dramatically hit your score. But the best way to improve your score is just to make your payments every month over and over and over again. And the cool thing here is uh, once you've paid off a card, you don't have to charge anything onto it for it to report a good mark on your credit report. You just leave it at zero. And as long as that card is open, and maybe once a year you make a purchase on it so it doesn't deactivate and they don't shut it down. But if you make a purchase a couple times a year on it and you pay it off immediately, it will give you good marks consistently. You will have months and months of good marks and you don't have to carry a balance in order to build credit. You just have to have access to credit without going over that 30%. So paying on time, what's the next one, Leo? The other thing is uh, to keep that balance of how much you're borrowing at a lower percentage. So we talked about 30% versus the 100%. So whatever you have to borrow, whatever you have available as far as credit available to you, try to keep the, the amount that you use lower than 30%. And I've actually kept, I use Credit Karma. Uh, I, I try to keep track of how my score is being affected simply because I'm constantly learning about how that, that affects uh, some of the clients that I work with. So I, I've noticed that as, as I use, and I use a credit card for budgeted items, and I always pay it off at the end of the month. But sometimes if I'm paying for uh, insurance premium or something like that, it could be a couple of thousand dollars. And when that purchase is made and the credit is run, it always dings me a, a few points. So it affects you, even if you have a low balance. You know, I have a lot more to borrow and I'm nowhere near that 30%, yet it still affects it by one or two or three points. Now, that's not a big deal. My point is, though, as you borrow, the more you borrow, the less your credit score will be. It will affect it because a creditor will look at you and say, okay, can this person borrow more? Or are they kind of maxed out already? Yeah. And if they are maxed out, maybe this one purchase that they're going to make with me is going to send them over the edge and now they're not going to pay me and they're not going to pay anybody else. So a credit card company and any creditor will look at you and say, can I actually lend credit to this person based on what I'm seeing? And a credit score is a pretty fair indication of whether you can and cannot handle it. They're going to base their decision based on whether they believe you're, going to, you're a good bet. Yeah. And it's so important to realize this whole score and this whole mathematical model is built around determining how risky it is to lend money to you. And so if you have borrowed a lot of money and then you start borrowing more and borrowing more and borrowing more, they see you as a higher and higher risk. And so they lower your score to make it harder for you to get access to more credit because they're afraid you're going to default. They're afraid that you're going to make a mistake or not be able to make a payment. And that's where that 30% number comes in is once you've started to borrow more than 30% of your available total credit, they really start to get worried because they know that's kind of a tipping point where then you'll end up getting to 40 and 50 and 60% over time. And then you'll start missing payments. And so this is all about how risky or not risky it is to lend money to you. Now, if you do end up missing a payment or going over um, pretty heavily on your score, the derogatory marks, they end up staying on your report potentially for seven to 10 years. 
Now, the good news is, is that you miss a payment. The next month, you make your payment. And the next month, you make your payment. As soon as you recorrect and start making your payments on time and your history gets a little bit better and a little bit better every month, immediately your score starts to improve. But some of the big derogatory marks can stay there for seven to 10 years and you need to be aware. Missing payments, going through bankruptcy, having a repossession or a short sale, those things will be on your report. The impact will lessen over time. Uh, and so I think it's important that you realize time matters a lot in this process. The other thing that matters is just the amount of, of access to credit that you have and, and that how many, what's the mix? What's the mix of types of credit that you're borrowing on? Your credit cards, your home loan, your car loan, a furniture loan. If you've got a wider mix, then they look at you as somebody who knows how to handle multiple lines of credit and they trust you a little bit more. So they raise your credit score. Uh, but you have to be careful with this because you don't want to go borrow money just so you can increase your score to hopefully, again, borrow more money in the future. We want to see borrowing become something that gets pulled out of your life, not something that you go deeper and deeper into. And so when Leo talked about that history, I remember uh, my first credit card um, in, I guess it was somewhere around late high school, maybe early college. And my parents had opened up an account with me and I think they must have co-signed on it uh, or something because the bank lent me you know, $300 and said, you can use this up to $300 whenever you want. And over time, they raised that limit to 500 and then they raised it to 1000 And over time, this high school kid and then college kid and then young adult, they said, we trust you a little bit more. We trust you a little bit more. We'll give you a little bit more access to credit. Well, now uh, I've still got that card open. And so I have, I think it's 11, 12, 13, 14 years of credit on that. I have to go look. But I've got a long history of not, not ever missing a payment. And so when they look at that, they say, okay, David apparently is not going to miss payments or is very unlikely to miss payments. So they extend more credit and they increase the score so that other lenders will lend to me. Now, this is kind of cool. Ashley and I, when we first got married, she was, uh, and I love this, she had never borrowed anything in her entire life. And uh, so she had no credit score whatsoever. And it was amazing. We, we went on the no credit score route and we went on the long credit history route. And I didn't necessarily set out to build a big credit history and a big credit score, but because my parents had opened up an account for me at a young age, I did have a little bit longer history than she had. And so when we went to go buy our first home, we went and we said, let's shop. Let's shop based on having zero credit score, which would be Ashley's and or not zero, but just no credit report at all. Because if you've never borrowed money, then when they go to look at your report, there's nothing there. Your name is there. Your social security number is there. But there's no information. They didn't. They saw, oh, Ashley's never borrowed money. Therefore, she's never had to pay anyone back. Well, we don't know if we can lend to her or not. Yeah, we have no idea. <laughs> uh, and then they looked at my score and they said, okay, well, this person has a long history. Well, we went to different uh, credit, uh, let's see, different mortgage companies. And we said, all right, where are we going to get the best score? And just so you know, um, I think that both method, methods are great. I, I think it's wonderful if you can live with zero debt across your life never borrow, not have any kind of credit score. That will work. Uh, but when we went to shop it, the mortgage companies that we talked to said that it would be about 
0.25%, so one quarter of a percent higher of a rate to use the no credit score application versus the application that had a high credit score and a long credit history. Just the built-in risk for them, to them, it was 0.25% higher, which on a $100,000 loan, that's $250 a year that we would have paid out of pocket. On a $200,000 loan, it's $500 a year that we would have paid just an extra interest because there was no uh, credit history there. And we went to many different mortgage companies. So this was not, this was not like, oh, we just tried it once. And on top of that, they said, well, if you do it with the credit score, it'll take a month to get this thing finished. If you do it without the credit score, it could take up to three months. And so I'm just warning you, you know, I think it's a really noble thing to go through life without ever borrowing any money and, and truly not playing kissy face with the banks as Dave Ramsey would say, and not, not playing the debt score game. But it benefited us that we had a deep understanding of this, that we never defaulted, we never missed a payment, but we did have a history of having access to credit without using it. That's great, David. The other part of credit score is the the credit increase. And this is a question that we get uh, when people want to pay down their debt and they want to know, should I I cut up my credit cards? And they want to know really anything that impacts their credit score. And one of the ways that your credit score will be impacted is when you have a credit increase. So there are what they call hard and soft credit inquiries. The hard ones are when you apply for some uh, for a loan. It could be a car, a mortgage, a credit card. Uh, and it will stay on your on your report for up to two years. A soft one could be anything from like an insurance company looking at your credit history because they're uh, about to write you a auto policy or your phone company or utilities. Also, background checks, checking your credit without your permission. Uh, these are these are things that that some companies will do because you have allowed them because you have business or a relationship with them. They'll they'll just automatically run a soft credit check in order to see if a certain offer that they want to extend to you is available, and then they'll mail it to you. So a lot of times when you're getting a credit card offer in the mail or really any creditor sending you any opportunity for borrowing, it's because there was a soft inquiry made, and the result of that is they're going to offer you the opportunity to borrow. So those don't just come. They don't just do a, you know, kind of spin the wheel and say, okay, David gets it this week. No, it's it's actually based on the information that's available. They're not going to extend credit to somebody who can't pay it. Nine times out of 10, it comes from these kind of soft inquiries. And for me, I know that for a while, one of my credit card companies was sending me actual checks at home and all I had to do is sign them. And I'm like, okay, stop that. I don't, first of all, I, I was on a budget and I wouldn't fall for that kind of stuff, but I was afraid that somebody might get it in the mail and then just sign it and put it in their checking account or whatever. So I, I made him stop and do that. So you do have some some flexibility there. You can you can call your credit card companies or your lenders and say, hey, there are certain things I do not want and find out what you can how you can impact that um, still soft and hard inquiries from happening automatically. Hard inquiries will not happen automatically, but the soft ones will. And you just have to be aware that that's sometimes part of the relationship of being in a relationship with a bank or a creditor. Yeah, and and the hard inquiry only occurs when you're asking to be extended more credit. You're asking for a new credit card. You're asking for a home loan. You're asking for a loan to purchase a vehicle. Then they have to make a hard inquiry into your credit report and say, is this person really someone we can lend to? It's They go deeper and it's a harder search. And so they call it a hard inquiry. And you you get to choose. Maybe maybe you wait a couple of years to look for another credit card because you've had too many inquiries recently for credit cards or for a home loan. 
And the reason that they lower your score with hard inquiries is because the more you're looking for debt, the more they think you're in trouble. And so if you keep looking and keep looking for debt, they think, uh-oh, this guy needs to borrow his way out of a problem, and we probably shouldn't lend to that. Yeah, you know, I, I do believe that there's some, um, some part of their formula and what they're trying to do is to discourage people from actually borrowing when they shouldn't. If you look at the length of credit history, which is part of, I think it's, what is it, 15%? Uh, yeah, it's 15% of the credit score. So the length of credit history is if it's less than two years, you will not have a good score. That will impact your score considerably because there's just not enough trust there built for them to lend you money. If it's between five and six year range, which is kind of a midpoint, then your score improves slightly. But once you get over seven years, then you're able to get a good or excellent score. And that's intentional. They're looking and saying, okay, if you've not been out there using credit for more than two to three to four years, you really don't know enough to stay out of trouble. So they're going to wait until you're at seven years or more. You've gained some knowledge. You've understanding the the benefit and the consequences have taken on too much. And you learn from it and they realize, okay, you're going to be more cautious. You're going to be a less risky borrower, yeah. right? And yeah. so that's when they're going to extend more credit to you. Leo, you're opening up my love-hate relationship with the credit score. <laughs> so this is something that I, I honestly, it's a struggle in my mind because one, I love that someone was smart enough to build a business tracking this data, making it easier for other businesses to lend money to trustworthy people. You know, if, if you can afford to buy a home and make your payment every month, I think that's a good thing. It'd be sad if there wasn't a way to borrow. Right. Right. I It'd agree. be sad if businesses didn't have a way to look at you and say, can this person borrow $20,000 on a car and will I sell them a car for that? You know, that would be sad. So I think it's amazing that this system has been built. I think it's amazing that millions of tiny decisions are gathered, put into reports, put into scores. That It's neat. It's impressive to me. So that's the love side. The hate side is that, you know, one, they take all this information and most people don't even know about it. They don't make it easy for you to stop them from taking your information. So they have the right to take your information without telling you. And if you want to freeze them or stop your credit information from flowing and stop people from looking at your credit score, it's very difficult to do that. In fact, you end up having to pay for that service uh, where they get your data for free. You don't make money on it, they do. And now you've got to pay them to stop the flow of information. And unfortunately, you know, they don't always protect the information as well as they need to because they are, uh, let's look at it, they have more information about you than almost any other place in the world and they've been hacked. And this is sad, one of the major bureaus got hacked and we saw it all over the news. And because of that, millions of people data, data gets leaked. And, and so I'm a little frustrated. I love how neat this, this industry is in some ways. I love that they make it harder for people to go into debt when they're not quite ready and they've not understood and they've not learned. But I also hate that they gather your information and that essentially it is the more I borrow, the more I manage my debt, the more debt I have, the more they trust me with more debt. And it's an I love debt score. And I don't love debt. So, you know, why am I why am I fighting my whole life to grow my I love debt score if I hate debt? So there's this love-hate relationship. And it's an interesting industry. It's a terrible industry. It's an interesting score. It's a terrible score. I love debt. I hate debt. You know, it's just, it's what an interesting topic to cover. Um, I think it's important that if you're going to borrow, that you have the money set aside to pay it off. Uh, if you're going to use a credit card, you use it as a tool to where every month you just pay it right off. If you're going to purchase a home, 
put enough of a down payment on that house so that you have a sure way to pay it if something goes wrong. Even if the equity goes down, let's say home values go down 10% or 20%. Well, then you need to start by putting a 20% down payment so that you can always sell that home and get out from under it. It's called surety. And it stands for having a sure way to pay. And so have a sure way to pay. Uh, I don't think that most people realize the risk of debt. And these companies do sometimes make it easy to to fall into the trap of debt. Yeah. And, and also the, the score itself is not your identity. I think uh, I remember I, I coached a couple and uh, the husband was really, he, he really, he shared this with me years later. Uh, we ran into each other and he shared how when I had met with them and encouraged them to really get aggressive about paying down their debt. Um, and they were at a point where they really couldn't make all the payments. And I told them, I said, you're just going to have to go and talk to your creditors and put a plan in place, but really stop paying one credit card with another and taking out loans to be able to just keep the keep the score from you know, crashing. I said, it's going to happen sooner or later. And he was so protective of his score. And it was his identity. In fact, he shared that. He said, it, it just meant so much to me. It was kind of a badge of honor. And unfortunately, it, it, it took him down a path that they never intended to go. But eventually, they were able to fight back. And yeah, their credit score took a big hit. But eventually, they were able to pay everything down and, and rebuild. And you can always rebuild. So whatever mistake you might have made in the past, if you missed out on some payments, maybe you, gosh, maybe you lost a job and, and you were without income for months and just didn't have a choice. It was a choice of either putting food on the table or paying the credit card. Well, we all know what the best choice is for that. You put food on the table before you pay the credit card. But it's going to affect your score. But it's not your identity. It's a measure of credit worthiness. It's not a badge of honor to wear, nor is it an accurate measure of who you are if your score happens to be low right now. So the FICO score is just a tool. That's part of a system which our country's financial institution use. So be wise. Use it for your advantage. Don't allow... Uh, this score to uh, to identify you and learn all you can about it so you can make make it work for you and not against you but stop shy of letting it dictate who you are so um, David anything else you want to touch on no I love that I love the importance of not letting it dictate your identity and in future episodes we'll dig through what it looks like when you get into a battle in that situation where you can't make all your minimum payments and now your score is going to start to suffer but we'll go through what the important things in life are and what we want to focus on first and what it looks like to, to battle through that. But that's for another time. I feel like we could talk so much more about this specific topic. There's uh, everything from how to repair your credit score. And uh, we're going to add some additional information on the show notes on how you can actually uh, clean up your credit score if you have errors on there. That's something that we would definitely encourage you to do. So check that out. Uh, but for now, thank you for joining us for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast either on iTunes or Google Play so that it's easier for more people to find and benefit from it. You could also share this podcast on your favorite social media platform. And while you're there, find us, follow us. We'd love to have you be part of the conversation on personal finances. You can also find the show notes for this episode by going to leosabo.com and also take advantage of some of the content and resources available there. We look forward to having you join us next time so that together, We We can can keep keep getting getting money money right. right. So I'm a little frustrated. I love how neat this, this industry is in some ways. I love that they make it harder for people to go into debt when they're not quite ready and they've not understood and they've not learned. But I also hate that more debt I have, 
the more they trust me with more debt, and it's an I love debt score, and I don't love debt.